welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Welcome, everyone, back to Dear Writer. Today, we are recording episode 54, and it is another one of our author spotlight episodes. And we're very excited to have Lynn Podrat with us on the show today. Hi, Lynn. Hi, ladies. Sarah, Ashley, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So Lynn is an educator, a dog trainer, and also an author. Uh, she writes poetry, children's books, and she also has a memoir out called Listen to Me, How My Down Syndrome Brother Saved My Life. Uh, in her spare time, she also does dragon boating, which is very cool. I remember in um, the town I grew up, Mount Monganui, they do a lot of dragon boating out on the harbor there. You see all the crews going on, so that's very cool. Well, it's it's a rare occasion that someone actually knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's fascinating you're on a dragon (laughs) it would be cool if you were on a dragon though well it would be cool it would be cool (laughs) I would not mind being on a dragon actually I have to confess that I have despite growing up in the same city as Ashley I was kind of like more in the country a little bit and I don't really know what dragon boating is (laughs) but it sounds like a very intriguing and interesting hobby I must say it's it is, it is a, a gruesome, and Ashley can attest to this, it is a sport and it is a hard sport. It's a okay. hard sport. It's just like rowing crew, but it's a much bigger, it's a huge boat. Oh, it's well. kind of like, you know, the walker races, it's kind of like that, but larger. And with a paddle, not, a, not an oar, but a paddle. <clears throat> right. Uh, right. Okay. I think I sort of get where you're coming from now. <laughs> Apologies for my ignorance. No apology necessary. You're, you're, you're in the bulk of the people. <laughs> you're one of the messes, Sarah. Um, right. Nice, nice to know. <laughs> okay. So what we like to kind of start out with is talking about how you got started writing and of what intrigued you about writing in the first place and drew you in? So I have to tell you, I, I, am, I am not the typical author. I am what I like to call the reluctant author. So <laughs> as a child, you know, my mother wrote poetry. My father was involved in a lot of things. They had to write speeches. And we would sit around the dining, you know, the table and talk politics even when we were young. And so that inspiration for justice was always there, the right thing to do. And But, you know, none of my teachers really inspired that writing. It's boring when you're in elementary school writing. And when I finally became a teacher, I swore I would I would never do that. And I I didn't. I I was really true to my (laughs) lack of passion. And so, you know, how many times can you write about your summer vacation or doing, (laughs) you know, or things like that? So poetry was it, I think, because my mother did it and I was fascinated by rhyming. I was fascinated by that. And so I think I didn't find something that I really wanted to write about until high school. And after my brother was born in the plight of education, not that I was in education yet, but I remember doing a thesis on Charles Dickens. 
because of all the books he wrote to support uh, changing the laws in England for children, the fact that he supported the North in the Civil War. And so that was the first time I was really inspired to write. I hated writing because I never felt inspired to it. And I'm happy to sit about and do mind games and mind puzzles and let some thought percolate in my head. But if you tell me to sit down and write a topic, I'm like, I don't, okay, I'm not there. So what finally inspired me to write this was the fact that I thought my brother would be forgotten. And he was initially when he was first born, not going to be coming home. Um, my parents couldn't deal with his birth. I was going to be 13. My other brother was going to be nine. And when I researched the institution where they were going to put him, it was abysmal. And that's an understatement. And I, I worked really hard <laughs> to make my parents bring him home and then watched over the years of him going into a group home when he was five years old. And I was always worried that he'd be forgotten. And now he passed away. And what was going to, I didn't have any recourse anymore to make sure that the family and or the world really knew that this was not a horrific, debilitating uh, effect on a family, even though it had that effect, but life could go on. Mm -hmm. And he was so special to the family. And that's what drove me to write the book. Not because I really, I, I, the introduction says, and I don't think it's going to ruin anything is <laughs> I do not find this kind of writing cathartic. I don't live in the past. I get over it and I'm, I'm into the future. I'm I, not that it doesn't dwell and not does it, does it hurt my heart at times, but writing about it does not help me. But the angst of not telling the story was worse. Right. Yes. And so that's what drove me to write this. My, my children knew my devotion to my brother. They knew he was down. They knew my devotion. They knew that I fought to have him included in things, but they never knew the why. They had to know the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what drove me to write this. I have written articles. I have written about education. I have had poetry uh, published, but those were fun things. Those were a response at a moment. But his birth was the development of my finding my voice. And that's where the other writing now has really come from. Yeah. You know, that's when I left the first career and then went into education. And so his, his, he really, when it says, you know, how my Down syndrome brother saved my life, it, it really was a, a finding a voice and finding a passion and moving me through. You know, I, I was driven to be a veterinarian initially. So I was going to be the voice of animals that couldn't find, that didn't have a voice. So I was still a voice for the underdog. I just mm -hmm. changed the underdog. And then once yeah. I retired from education, I, I trained to be, to go find that other voice for animals as well. So now I kind of like, you know, dual speak. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you know, that that's the verbal part of it. So um, that's how I really became the author of this. I, I did write you know, I had to teach writing once I became a teacher and I, I learned the way to get through to children that struggled with writing. So my argument was always, if you're going to take the time to write something you may not necessarily want to do, do it 
so that people really read it. If you find you have something to say, do it well enough to make them listen. <laughs> I you think, know? you know, that's a really good motivation and a, a really good point to writing is that writing is a connection at, at its sort of root of everything is getting your word out to other people. And, you know, when you find that thing that you're passionate about, you know, there's nothing more normal and natural than wanting to share it. And it sounds like writing has been a really great way, not cathartic in the sense of the writing itself, but in sharing it, it becomes a cathartic experience, right? right. And then I also think that the vulnerability that you show in sharing like a story like that is it really opens opens you up to make connections with people as well. Right. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what it did. I didn't, I, you know, it was really just for the family per se. <laughs> and then, right. So people that I've been very uh, lucky, not so much to sell thousands and thousands of books. That's like the next thing to talk about. But every person that's read this book has found a way to get back in touch with me to tell me what it's meant to them. What more could you ask for? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's really nice. That's what you try to do, right? I suppose when you're writing, like That's what more exactly could you want? Right. I was, you know, I lamented that it wouldn't sound like I was resentful or angry. That that like was made me that kept me up at night. Not so much writing the book and telling the story, but telling it in a way that yes, I was angry. I was 13, and yes, a teenager's anger. But I never, I I resented situations. I never resented the people. So I had issues with my parents, but I got it. I never resented my parents. So one person did write that um, I sounded angry or this, whatever, petulant, and they were going to put it down, but they turned the page and realized that that's not, it wasn't, you know? And so that was the one thing I was afraid of. I didn't want anyone to come back and say, oh, this is just an angry child. It's, you know, like... (laughs) Right now, she's just out here spewing the thoughts, just telling her story. You know, why should we care? That's not what it, that's not what it was. And so, um, yeah, so the, the very first reviews I got, I was here. I was still in Florida, uh, even though the launch, no, the launch date was in Colorado. So I must have still been in Colorado. I was in Colorado. And so I read the first two reviews and I thought I did it. And that wasn't I wrote a book. I published a book. I, I did it. I, I was okay. I lamented about getting it to sound right. And I obviously, and I did. And I, somebody got what my brother was like, somebody got the story and my job here is done. You know, that's so that, yeah, that's, that's you were right. It, that, and, and that's what did it. People got it. And yeah, I, I, I did. Okay. I, that's, that's of which I'm, I'm very proud. It's not so much of publishing a book. It's, I worked hard and succeeded in telling his story and doing it well. Yeah, I think um, memoirs are a little bit different from the perspective Mm -hmm. that, you know, you want to be authentic and tell the story as you experienced it, but you also want to get it across in such a way that, like, you know, that it still does fulfill that story structure and right. still keeps people on track. And you've got to condense all those feelings down into like a logical flow. And right. I think that can be quite challenging. So I think, you know, it's quite admirable to 
yeah and not only expose yourself but that's yeah right. and that's what a good editor does <laughs> right because yeah. that's what was hard it, it was written in memories dated succinct memories but I didn't want it to sound like a diary yeah. mm-hmm. a venting yeah. diary it was a story of his life and our life together and so you know my parents are included my other brothers included but I didn't want to tell their stories because it wasn't Mm -hmm. my story to do for them. And so that was the other thing. It was, how do I do it where they're positively, where they're included and they're respected, you know, as individuals, but I don't step on their toes, you know, as well. And so uh, that, yeah, it, it was, well, the drive was just to really tell the story. And then standing back, it was the, how do I do this? in a way that is positive while telling a negative, but doing it with a positive. Yeah. So did you find editing of it like quite tricky or like, how did you find the editing process and how did, how do you decide like what things to cut and what things to keep? That's a really good question. So it it goes along with, um, I had to think about like being a a plotter or that panster. Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) And I heard the word and I, I thought I knew what it meant, but I wasn't sure. So I did look it up. So I have to tell you that I never write by, I have spoken by the seat of my pants, just listening to what other people have said. So I, I can respond to them Mm -hmm. instead of having rehearsed something and then being off the mark. Mm -hmm. So I may, I may have thoughts in percolating in my head that I won't necessarily, you know, write down. So it may appear like the seat of my pants, but it's not that, but writing is not like that. I don't necessarily plot an entire outline though. Any class you take tells you that that's what you're supposed to do. And because this was a not fiction. Mm -hmm. So I needed, I need, you know, when you write fiction or any good writer, you need characters, develop characters, but you need a problem. Yeah. There's no problem. There's no story. That's how I taught my children to write too. What's the problem? So there's no problem. There's no steps to get you to that resolution. And if you're writing like that, that's where I taught them to have a guiding structure. You know, what's the problem? Okay, write that down. And how do you want it fixed? Do you have the solution? Do you have the ending? And sometimes they did. And they wrote the ending. I went, all right, now what are the steps to get you there? Is it finite? Am I holding you that? Is there, you know, you're you're signing this in blood? No. And so with this kind of memoir, I couldn't plot it like that. Mm -hmm. I knew what the beginning would be because I was here in his, his, I had gone to Philadelphia to visit him, you know, when I could visit him after his diagnosis. And so in that bed, I still hadn't thought about the story yet because he had an he listen we couldn't treat the cancer he was on dialysis he's older he's not well we were just going to let it be so we had to have a plan of care yes he was going to pass away but not as quickly as I thought yeah but um, so that the book was not in my head yet what was in my head was to make the family keep the family in touch with him so he heard them on a regular basis and they knew what was happening on a regular basis. So I, that was the beginning of the story. So that was where I was. 
but I, I didn't have an end yet because he was still with us. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was, different. it was, so when I decided it, it was more like flashes of memory coming back now that I knew that this was a, a final, this was infinite. It, this, he was not going to last. And so walking and hiking in Vail and, you know, was where the memory started. And I always have my phone with me 24 seven now, because if I walk and think of anything anywhere, the phone comes out and I will talk into the phone so I don't forget it, be it a poem or his story. But that's where the memories came from because now I had a plan for his death. You know, it wasn't planned. My parents hadn't done anything. I didn't want him alone. And so my parents had a plot in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia, for my grandparents and them. So there were four graves. My grandparents were in two of them. My parents were, you know, gone now. They were in Florida. They weren't coming back. So I had my mother quite a few years before sign over one of the plots. So that's where he was. So I had to be back there and and I had to plan a funeral. And again, while I'm planning this and he's down syndrome, he doesn't know from a cemetery and a plot, a casket. That's how we got to, I took pictures and I wanted to know what colors he liked. I knew what flowers he liked. I knew what colors he wanted, but that was the brainstorming, which, you know, is in the book. That's the brainstorming to get him there. And then again, that's what drew writing down the memories. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to. I had read memoirs, you know, and unfortunately, some of those memoirs were the venting. What my mother did, having to get over that, and that's not what I wanted. So that's where I stuck with just the memories and, you know, talking to the people that loved him most from, from his, you know, his group home. Listen, he was in that group home since he was five years old. He passed away. He was 53. It's a long time. And he had a lot of the same caregivers, which were my family. They were my family too. You know, we're yeah. family. Um, his primary caregiver is my sister and will be my sister till perpetuity. So it was writing about that family as well and the memories of sharing him with that family. So that's, that was really how I organized, for lack of a better word, this <laughs> yeah. in my head and realized that it, it couldn't be written like this. So, you know, I'm writing all of this and writing all of this and writing on it, dating it. And it's, it's not in order because memories don't come in order. Something would trigger a memory. And, and then I realized that I'd have to send it to a proofreader, <laughs> which meant it had to be, it had to be typed. <laughs> it's like, it had to be typed. And um, in order to help get organized, because again, telling me I had to write something was not going to happen. I belong to um, the self, you know, self-publishing. And I had a mentor that kept me time paced for deadlines. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> when will the proofreading start? And I thought, uh, proofreading. <laughs> time to start <laughs> so time to start typing. And that's what happens. So I would take, I have this, this thick handwritten notebook and I, I would sit down and that became my goal of 1500 to 2000 words a day of typing the story out mm-hmm. and getting it to some kind of order on the pages. And that's where my personal 
editing proof reading became. But the one thing they teach you is if you get bogged down with proofreading and editing, you'll never write. Yeah. I kept getting stuck. And I thought, I'm just putting it down. These are great, these are great memories. Let's just get the memories down and let's shop for a proofreader and we'll work that out after that. They are experienced. I am not. They're the professionals. I'm the writer. They will tell me what to do. If it sounds good, we do it. If it doesn't, we negotiate. Mm-hmm. So I mean, basically that's how it came about. It was putting it in my phone, you know, crying up in the, in the hiking through the trails of Bale, crying and, you know, venting to the Knicks, listening to some of my favorite music and sitting down on a log after, you know, crying to the daisies and going, oh, I just had a vision and talking into the phone. So the, I'll tell you, I never ran into a wild animal that other people kept seeing because they were terrified of this lunatic crying, <laughs> crying screaming out loud and then going, oh no, wait, that was really, really good. I have to, I have to get this out before I get back to write it down. So would, would you want to run into me? So um, <laughs> I met a lot of people. I met the dogs, the dogs that ran on the trails. Cause you know, these were local trails where I live. They would stop and you could watch them do this. They watched them cock oh. their head. Like, Okay. And then I, I would respond to them and, you know, dogs instinctively, no matter what the stranger, if it's a human being crying and sounding like they're in need, they're there. Yeah. I can't tell you how many dogs, how many dogs in my neighborhood I met <laughs> that last summer. Right. Don't um, know your I, neighbors, but you know their dogs. I don't know my neighbors, but I know there's dogs. It's the truth, but I know the dogs. You're absolutely correct. And so, you know, that's basically how this this came about. So was it truly organized? No, but it, it, it had a plan. It did have a plan. You know, it wasn't, I didn't mm-hmm. just sit down, start typing and say, okay, here, this is yours. Do what you will with it. Yeah. You know, I, I knew being an English teacher, there's that order that, you know, still has to be there. Mm-hmm. So I don't plot per se, but it's also just not off the cuff. That does a disservice uh, yeah. to me. It does a disservice to the writing and the audience. It's not the audience's job to have to figure out the story. Do you want them to have questions? Yes, that's what writing should do. But good questions, not, yes. I don't get it. I, I yes. don't get it. What happens? <laughs> not, that's not their job. No, hang on. Let me just read two paragraphs back. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so I don't mind going two paragraphs back because I've been intrigued or something's Mm, piqued my curiosity. I might've missed it. That's good. But to go or to not even want to go back because you know that you missed something is not okay. It's not okay. And whether it's a memoir, organized facts or story of somebody's life, it's, it, it was my, a good writer's responsibility to take the reader on a successful journey. They don't have to like the journey, but the journey has to be successful. Yeah. And so that was where the drive in my head to to get it, to tell a story within memories, dated memories of the, you know, uh, of that was the drive of, of keeping this together. And again, having been an English teacher, shame on me if I didn't do that. <laughs> Really, you know, after, you know, hocking all these children to do exactly what I just said, 
not doing it myself was unacceptable. I have very high standards. <laughs> you know, I try very hard not. I don't. I try very hard not to be a hypocrite. If I'm going to make you do something, I need to do that as well, and I need to do it better because I yeah. pushed you. So that was the push, and my editor was great with. Me. She knew how to handle me that way. Did you have trouble deciding which memories to put in and which memories to leave out? Well, that's such a good question. I don't think I had. I did. I don't, I don't know that it was a trouble. I think I tried to keep it from being wordy. There are great memories that I did not include in the book. I, but I was willing to put the most driving ones there that did the best of telling the story. Mm -hmm. The other ones were great entertainment, yeah. but I told the story in 32,000 words. I didn't need to do it in 60,000 words. Right. It would have defeated the purpose. So, and I wanted to be the fact that if people's curiosity were piqued and people said, oh, I wish I would have gotten to know your brother better, that was the conversation to add another story, mm -hmm. to add another mm -hmm. memory, to have them be able to ask me something and have something to give them back. That sounds very logical. <laughs> Just like pragmatic about the <laughs> memories that you chose. Because I can imagine, I, you know, you want at the start, you probably want to put everything in, right? Because like, oh, this is a great memory. This was a great one. Right. It was overwhelming. And so my husband's very funny because my husband said to me, he goes, that was great. Why didn't you include that? And some of them kind of got shadowed with others. Yeah. And I thought, I, you know, I don't, there were a couple where I said, yeah, I don't, maybe I should have included it, but I don't have any regrets. Yeah. Again, you know, there, there are ways for the readers to connect with me and, and I'm happy to share that way. And it gives, it, it gives new interesting information when, you know, people ask questions about Down syndrome. So it's, it's a great memory of a story to help explain people with Downs or people with any disability. How did you find balancing like life with writing down or, you know, reminiscing these memories because I imagine it would have been quite full-on like with planning your brother's funeral at the same time as having like these periods of getting your memories down and things how did you balance that fortunately I'm retired so I I do tutor I am involved I mentor a high schooler and I do tutor uh, young little ones and I did it you know, virtually while I'm in Colorado, but I wasn't working full time. So that I, yeah, that would, that's a great thing. And that would have been a, even more of a challenge because you're right. The dealing with this was basically all consuming, mm -hmm. especially as his guardian, as his guardian, I was the first online along with the nurse, with his group home in Philadelphia is called Kencrest. The nurse and I were partners in crime, but I was the guardian. Nothing happened without me getting a phone call or me having to call back. And then, you know, and with the time change in Vail, I, five o'clock in the morning became my day because it was seven o'clock on the East Coast right. when I had to start contacting doctors and nurses and on the yeah. care. 
It wasn't just like he was in the hospital. Is who was watching him in the hospital? This is COVID. Who's he talking to? He couldn't really tell anybody what was wrong with him and what was happening. My stomach hurts. That, that was the extent of it. And then it was like, you know, wailing or complaining like a kid. And so it was who's allowed in the room with him? Nobody. That's why I didn't fly there right away because I wasn't allowed out at the hospitals. And it, it was like you know, his first round in the hospital, there was nobody there. It was impossible for me to get through to anybody and no one was getting through to me. That was a big issue. And finally, you know, he was finally, he was moved to another hospital, which was the best thing that could happen because the doctor, his lead doctor used to go in, visit with him and FaceTime with me on his cell phone. Good. So I got to see, talk to my brother every day, but that was the schedule. And, and then it was keeping everybody in the loop. How much do I tell them? You know, yeah. texting a diagnosis. It's exhausting. <laughs> Picking up the phone and calling people, that made it easier. But, you know, my one brother, it, it, my brother needed to know much more than mm-hmm. the kids. You know, the kids didn't need to know everything. And I didn't want, I didn't want to muddy the waters, nor did I want to not tell them the truth. But I was trying to protect everybody. And the only person that knew the whole story was my daughter because she's a doctor. She is a surgical resident in Texas. And she was privy to all his doctors. I made sure of that. And he was in Temple University Hospital where she went to medical school. So she knew people. Yeah. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. And so I didn't want to disrespect his doctors at Temple. They didn't deserve it. And I, and she knew she's very good this way, but she would call and, and she knew the team. And there were people she went to medical school with that were on his team that I knew too, that I had met. Yeah. So it was, um, and again, you know, they can only tell her, they could tell her everything as a doctor, but then they couldn't tell her everything because it's patient doctor right. privilege. So I could know everything, but everybody else couldn't know everything. And I have to tell you, it, it, that was the most exhausting thing. <laughs> how yeah. to understand exactly what the next steps were and how to text it and who needed to hear this much and who needed to hear this little bit. That took hours hours even the calling I can imagine you know like you know you're on the phone with people like then this next person and the next person so and so I learned I never knew how to do this I knew that you could do it I just never had to do it then I had to learn how to do it was you know when you're on FaceTime you can call in other people on FaceTime Mm -hmm. yeah well the doctors didn't know how to do that I knew how to do that because my I had to learn how to do that so I was I had different again on time zones different people on this FaceTime. And I wasn't that good at it. I've gotten a little better, but it was not my forte. (laughs) This may, Zoom may be my forte, but that is not, but getting other people right in on the conference. And the other thing was, you know, the surgeons, my daughter is a surgeon, but she understands you don't always need to cut. That's not always the answer, but there are those, you know, the oncologist understood but then there were other people on the team of the, we can cut this out and then we'll start chemo. And no, we're not. He's not a candidate yeah. for that. Yeah, accept that. That's not, that's not what's happening. Yeah. Okay, that's not what's happening. And it was arranging his dialysis while he was in the hospital along with everything else that had to happen. And yeah. that's what I said. The nurse at Cancrest, Toya was my biggest champion and she worked very, very hard. I mean, his group home was committed 
to him doing whatever was going to be needed. Hospice was going to be done at home. He was not going into hospice because then he'd be alone. And they refused to have it happen. The group home insisted they were going to make it work. He was going to come there. And, you know, he has two roommates that are like brothers to him that he's known for a very long time. And I needed to know that they were going to understand what was happening and not be traumatized. I mean, we really had to come up with a plan of his care and their care. They were like brothers to me. Their care was important as well. What would they understand and what would they be able to, to, to deal with? And so you're right. I mean, that it was all consuming. And yet, you know, we did things. We were away. I could hike. There's a, 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 the, the summers in Vail are amazing with music and the arts festival and Bravo Vail and the Vail Theater and dance. And so we would be there many times. I'd be pulled away with you know my phone being on 24-7. I'd be pulled away and we would discuss care and I would go back to it. I, uh, I still had other people that were alive. My husband was wonderful, but it, it, he, he could not be consumed with this. It wasn't fair. So it, it, it's great having a partner that took that, that part, that took the, we're going to go out to dinner, even though you're yeah. not up for it. Or we're going to order it. We're going to the, are you up for the dance festival? Of course I am. But I just want you to understand that I may miss part of it because I'm taking the calls. I have to take the calls. So, you know, he'd be doing his own thing. We would pack a a picnic dinner and we would go out and sit on the lawn and listen to music and, you know, that kind of thing. Were there a melancholy moment? Yeah. You know, I, I don't get depressed, but I, there were sad, there were sad moments, you know, what do you do? But that's what made it having a partner that can work you through it is what helps. I, I, could I have done that by myself? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Would I have run out to a theater with a picnic dinner wallowing? I don't know. I might've stayed inside and wallowed a little, I, you know, I have to be honest, but I worked hard at not letting it get the better uh, of me because that wasn't fair. It just, it's just not my nature. And I, it wasn't fair to everybody else, especially the kids. It wasn't fair to the children. It just wasn't, they're grown. But to me, I, I am still, I'm still the adult and I'm still the parent and I am still the lead. And uh, if I wanted this to be a positive, horrible, but a positive experience, then I had to be the role model. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I worked really hard that it w- was not all consuming. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you I really succeeded. I mean, I think they say that I did, but I don't know that myself. <laughs> Always it looks that way. Like, I, run. Right. <laughs> I, I, I hope I, I, nobody feels any, nobody thinks any less of me. Let's put it that way. And my nieces still admire me and love me. So I did, I obviously did something. Okay. <laughs> I'd say that's a success. Yes. Right. I think, you know, any way you make it through those types of experiences. Right, exactly. Like, so I, my, I have to tell you, the kids were, the kids were amazing. They worked very hard to keep me entertained. They sent photos of the kids. They've had photos of experiences. They sent photos of their dog, whatever they thought would make me laugh. We were on a, a, a loop with each other texting wise. And no matter, even when they t- texted each other, they included me in the loop so that I was Oh, they worked very hard to keep my spirits up. I, I have to give them a lot of credit 
for that. They were an, they were really an amazing. My my two children and my nieces were an amazing support team. They really really were. They worked hard at that for me, which helped obviously. Obviously, it sounds like you managed to write a memoir in that time, and it seems like you very successfully dealt with what was a really sad. Said situation. Uh, yeah, I guess. Listen, you know, I was interviewed for the right the day before the launch of the book. And this the guy that interviewed me, it's uh, behind the vision, Chris. He said to me, so tell me your immediate goal before we were on really for the interview. I said to him not to cry. <laughs> That's <laughs> To not cry, <laughs> to ask me this and to be able to get through this and not cry. Okay. That's my goal. And he, he laughed. He said, really? I said, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. So he said, okay. I said, no, this has nothing to do with you. I mean, you have to ask me what you're going to ask me. And I did it. I, I think I teared up. I'm tearing up now too. It's almost a year, but I did tear up once and he stopped. I said, no, 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 no. Keep going. I'm okay. I'm good. This is, this is not what I meant by cry. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So um, right. <laughs> that was it. So yes, I, I did. I, I did manage to get through it. I, I, no, I did better than get through it. We all did much better than just get through it. We were, we were good for each other. We were good with each other. And we, uh, and, and we've stayed, we, we've stayed close for it, which is yeah. really, really good. You know, not that we weren't close before, but we are much closer, you know, and that, uh, so again, you know, it's, it's not a good situation, but just like his birth was in a good situation, but good things came out of it and good positive things came out of this as well. And you can't ask for more than that. Yeah, you know, we're very lucky. <laughs> we're lucky. We really are lucky. Very blessed, I have to say. <laughs> I do think that situations like that. I mean, I'm a nurse and stuff, so I'm quite interested in um, people's journeys and experiences when it comes, particularly to health and how people respond to this kind of thing. But you know, like I kind of said on the last, I haven't shared the the reason for why I'm going through some stuff myself, but you know, like I think what comes out of things is just how willing people are to help and how kind people are actually are at help like at heart when you give them that chance. Right. right. And that's the good that can come out of, come out of it. It's also wanting, um, not wanting that's, that's not the right word. So, you know, I, I say this, and I mean it from the bottom of my soul. And I've raised my children this way and my students. Okay. You cannot control what happens in life. You can't, you just can't. The only thing you can control is you, you, your attitude, how you deal with it and what you choose to take away from it. If you choose to just take away pain, you take away pain. If you choose to see the light at the end of the tunnel, there isn't always a light at the end of the tunnel. That doesn't mean that there's not a light at the end of the tunnel eventually. And so yeah. I chose to make it, I, I made that decision. It was a sad, it was sad. It was heartbreaking. It was devastating. I chose not to be sad, heartbroken and devastated, period. Was I sad? Of course. Was I devastated? Yeah. But look, I had, I had him for 53 years. You know, could it have been better? Absolutely. But so what? It was great. And that's it. Yeah. So, you know, that and, and so as a nurse, 
I hope you're um, sensitive enough to understand because, you know, not everybody does, is that there are patients that can fend for themselves and patients who cannot. And so that, yeah. was, that was something that I learned. There's certainly people who are more vulnerable. Yeah. Right. And so I did not appreciate how some places don't handle that well. Didn't hear yeah. it. And even if they heard it, didn't know what to do with what they heard. So, yeah. Yeah. No, so right when he went to the other hospital, they worked, they worked hard to hear my concern of that plight for him. And I, w- I was lucky, we were lucky that we had a great doctor. There were nurses that responded that if I said, do you mind going in his room and checking on him? I haven't talked to him in a couple of hours. They would do it. They didn't mind. They were yeah. great. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to be able to go to all these places and give everybody a thank you, a thank you hug or thank you, because they just, you know, when you help somebody that way and you take that angst away from them, it's an amazing experience. Like you said, people are so willing to help once you afford them the opportunity and at least Mm -hmm. let them know how they can help. Sometimes we don't know how to ask for it. And, um, but when you do, yeah, I t- I'm, t- I'm telling you, we were of a, of a sad situation. We were very, very, very lucky. And I was blessed to have amazing people, you know, to deal with. So I, yeah, I told you I lost my brother, but I, I, I'm really blessed through everything that had to happen. So I am, I am one that really does appreciate what they've been given. And I never, never hesitate to acknowledge that and say thank you to whoever the gods were at the time, you know. Yeah. I do want to pull it back a little bit to the writing process a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But before we do pull it back to that, thank you so much for being so open with all of this. Thanks. You are welcome. It's amazing to, like, have these conversations and to hear people's experiences of, like, something that's, you know, so close to your heart. and something that's you know it's it's something that you go through that really shapes who you are and I think sharing that is very brave so thank you for that Um, pleasure sort of I mean it doesn't look like that right now but it is my pleasure (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering how you found your publishing journey once you had the book all together you said you self-published it, right? Yeah. How did you find that process? Did you find it tricky to navigate or did you did you just do Amazon or did you try and do um, more global distribution? Or So I truly thought writing this story was the hardest thing I would ever have to do. It was a cakewalk compared to publishing <laughs> And promoting the book. <laughs> it, was, it was nothing. So I, through self-publishing is how I found my editor. And then I reached out to other people to get the book formatted and the cover and just, it's overwhelming. It's really, really overwhelming. And I, I really couldn't settle on, on anybody. That was hard. And through Facebook and through other writing you know, you, you, you read, once you, once you reach out to one writing program or one podcast, you're inundated with the emails and everything. 
And so it took a lot of research and a lot of Googling, a lot of looking at publishers, formal publishers to decide that I was going to self-publish because, you know, self-publish school, that's what they push. And out of the clear blue, I read about an agency called Social Books. Uh, two women, Social Books, looking to partner, just starting looking to partner with writers. And I thought, what, what could hurt? And I, I sent them an email, they answered me, and we had an amazing Zoom conversation. And they were my publishing team. Lauren and Andy, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're just two amazing people that taught me what to do. I could never have done this, really. I don't think I could have done it without them. They helped me publish this book. They, uh, uh, when we looked at pricing for formatting and how we were going to do it and who we were going to use and what it was going to cost and on and on and on and on, they raised their hand and said, I'm going to try this. Something good to learn. And they formatted the book. They formatted the book and they designed the cover. Andy designed the cover. I went through, I found the pictures. That picture uh, that we used on the front of the book are the three of us. They shaded it with color. But Brucey must have been a month old. And then there's uh, David and there's me as kids with him in a black and white picture that I thought I would like to use for the cover. You know, they had me research covers, font, covers, titles, printing, hours. I spent hours <laughs> and days researching this until I found the font I liked, the colors I wanted over and over. And I have pictures of flowers, pictures of shades of blue, shades of white, shades of the, her, just shades and shades and shades. The title I knew in my soul, in my bones, that's what I wanted. It was everything else that needed to get done. And they worked through it with me. We would meet every twice a month and we'd work the process. They would send me homework. They had this homework to do. I had my homework to do. And we just came together. We were, we were, they, they were the formidable team. I, I must say, I, I, I was the weakest link. They say no, but I'm going to tell you I was. They, they're the talent. And so that's what worked it together. And so the book was prepared for many different formats. So I am on Amazon. I'm on Ingram Spark, uh, uh, Apple, Kobo. Not that I really push them because it's just, again, not my forte, but they worked very hard to make it go everywhere it needed to be ebook uh, and paperback and uh, you know we went through pictures that we were going to use of me uh, many different formal synopsises I went back to my editor and I said okay I have this mishmash of synopsis this is the one I like would you mind looking at it and she loved the story she loved the book she's one of my staunchest supporters even though she's the editor you know she went out she bought the book I said why would you buy the book you edited the book, you know the story. But she comes back and she'll say to me, I just saw something that reminded me of Bruce. I thought, oh my gosh, oh. she's my editor. She's great. So she said, I want it because I've now seen the completed book with a cover and I love the cover and I wanted a copy. And oh. I thought, again, look at how all these special people that have come into my life because of this. They're just such good people for my heart, you know? And so, uh, and, and so she, you know, she, she didn't write the synopsis. She said, I 
I think you should take this line and go with it. And I thought, okay, I could do that. And, you know, she got me to write the introduction to the book that I swore I would never do. I already wrote all these words. I am not writing another <laughs> book. I already, have I don't want to write it. And this was, I'm not writing anything else. And her answer to me was, okay. It was just a suggestion, but you know, food for thought. Just no pressure. And I wasn't done. I said, it's not cathartic for me. This was really, 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 really hard. I just want to make sure he's not forgotten. And on and on and on and on. I said, blah, 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 blah. And this is a story. And people deserve to know the story because people deserve to know how to deal with people that have special needs. It's not a big deal. It's not a burden. She goes, okay. And there's your introduction. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I really, (laughs) that, and that's how she got me to do things. She, you know, let's rearrange this. Okay. If you don't want to rearrange it, we don't have to rearrange it. I was just thinking, and she let it just percolate. And she knew that I would see the error of my ways. She knew it. She just needed to get me like a little kid past that. And so inevitably I'd reread it again and I'd go, okay. Damn, that does make sense. (laughs) That'd actually do that for me sometimes. But again, it was never without that positive link. She she understood that this was a positive experience. It was painful, but I'm a positive person. And once she could work through making me realize I wasn't changing the story, I was going to be able to make it better. And she really was answering my needs. I would come back and I'd go and I'd say to her, I, I want to do this. I want to do this. And she, again, it wasn't even me listening to her as much as her getting me to rethink how to tell the story so that I would stay true to myself. She wouldn't <laughs> say to me, you're getting off course. She would do something else because she, she realized how important that was to me and she knew how to get me there. I, she was a great editor. She knew, really knew how to get me to where I needed to be. And, you know, I wasn't that compliant person. I really was, I really did have a voice. This really was important. The story was important and telling it properly to the audience meant more to me than anything else. And so she figured out a way instead of getting me compliant, stimulating me to go problem solve it instead. You know, I'm not a yes person, unless you're right. And I go, yes, you're right. But that's not what this was about. That's, that's not how she understood. After the whole thing with the introduction, she realized how to deal with me or, you know, not deal with me. She realized how to get me to problem solve it myself. She did not ever solve it. She gave me ideas. She would fix things because that was her job. Yeah. There yeah. were things that she didn't back off of. And I deferred because she's the professional. And she understood that I respected her that way as well. There were things that I would never question her. But the story itself and the telling was the thing that I was absolutely adamant. I did not back down unless it really served its purpose. And that was easy too, because I had a guide. But the publishing... Amazon, for all its easiness, is not easy. <laughs> not, nothing is easy. Not, oh, my God. Ingram Sparks. Ingram. <laughs> Ingram Sparks hated, hated everything. Loved it. 
that hated everything, hated everything we did the first time. They <laughs> never accepted the first, second or third try. Hated. We didn't understand what it was that they didn't like. They have very specific roads, don't they? <laughs> I know. I still don't know. I don't know how we knew, I believe Andy knew how to fix this. I don't know. I still don't know how she did it. I don't think she knows how she did it because <laughs> we still don't understand what it was that wasn't acceptable. I don't, nobody else had an issue. So, you know, the pictures in the book are black and white on the iBooks. They're in color. I never sent them in color because it's so expensive to do it in color that I agreed they could stay black and white. I was okay with that. <laughs> they have them in color. That's how easy they were. Yeah. The, but, um, the e-books. You know, e-books so right. Yeah, and, but, but I will say Amazon, if you had a question, did get back to us right mm-hmm. away. And so, you know, I would read something and I'd say, I think I understand this. Do I don't know if you have it where you are, but you know, the show Jeopardy. I've heard of it, but I haven't really watched it. <laughs> they give you the answer and you have to ask the question. Oh, yes. Like, what is right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I know that there are times that I know the answer. I don't even know what they are asking me. If I understood what they were asking <laughs> me, I'm sure I have somewhere in my knowledge that information. But that's how publishing was. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what you want from me. I cannot answer you. I don't get it. I don't know. I couldn't understand what you wanted and I would go back and say to them I would cut and paste and say all right I think this is what they're asking I I don't know and I refuse to plead age is what I don't get having not grown up I refuse to plead that I know that there are senior citizens that plead that I am not pleading that I know that I know this so if I understood what it was that they really wanted I I figure I could figure it out but there were even things that they didn't know and the three us would have to have a powwow to meet about it. So here we are. So we're published and we're good. And now it's the promotion of the book. Do we run ads? We don't run ads. Do I want this mm-hmm. KDB select? Do, do I want to be committed to this? I don't want to be committed to this because then I'm stuck. Because once you say yes, you can't say no. You could always say no yeah. and change your mind. But once you say yes, sometimes there's no changing your mind when you, you know, so I, I do, I don't, I, you know, and so publishing was a challenge and I just really thank every day. I am so thrilled to death that I found them and they're, they were just wonderful through everything. So yeah, publish self-publishing a book is a challenge, formatting it, getting a title, getting a cover, knowing what you want. And it's not like you're meeting with somebody. This is a constant back and forth. So how frustrating is this? is what I want. Well, are you sure this is what you want? Yes, this is what I really wanted. Well, how about this? No, I really want Think about that. Think about how much time is spent going back and forth, negotiating, not being able to negotiate in person and hashing it out right there. I find that exhausting. So that, that is hard. That's hard. And, and, and now as an indie author, there are many places where, you know, if you want to promote your book, they only deal with publishers. Mm-hmm. Promotion is challenging as well. So it, it is, it, it's been an experience. So like I said, going back to the beginning, someone would have said to me, what do you think the hardest part about doing this is? I go, oh, I'm writing the book. No, that was a cakewalk. I completely really? understand that after having a mountain of issues with Apple 
books yesterday. I woke up to like 10 Facebook messages from Sarah, like raging about her Apple Books experience trying to get our book up there. And I was was like 7 a.m. because I woke up quite early and I was like, oh my God. It's mainly just account issues. Wait, and don't you feel helpless? Seriously. The whole thing is useless, though. And you feel helpless. Right. So it's not like you could pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I don't understand what it is that you want. If you could just tell me in 10 words, I could do this. It's the constant back and mm-hmm. forth and not being able to specifically say exactly what it is that your question is. And then they send right? you like a template email or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just like, well, that wasn't quite the answer. And, and I have 52 articles that you can read. Does this not answer your question? If an article would have answered my question, I would have Googled the article myself. I did not need to tell you, I didn't need to ask you for you to tell me that there's an article. I know how to find articles all by myself. I'm an intelligent human being. I needed you to answer this question, not to read an article. Uh, Don't get me started. So I have to give credit though. I get so enraged. I can't rant on a Facebook kind of thing because I'm so angry. I, I can't find, there's, there's no way I, I have that energy. I'm like a this lunatic. That was what was crying and screaming in the mouth for me. But it's the truth. It's the truth. It's so the right passion comes out. Yeah, was that terrible? But at least you know we're passionate. Yeah. You're not a, you're not a milk stop that, you know, just mm-hmm. took it laying down. <laughs> exactly. I think we've had a good, great long conversation about your book and it's been so interesting and very just enlightening to hear your story and feel very privileged. So again, thank you. Was there anything else that you wanted to like talk about that we haven't mentioned? No, I think we're good. I just, you know, want the audience really to come away with the concept of, again, this was not eventing and not just talking about, oh, woe is me, I have a Down syndrome brother. It was more of enlightening the world to how special, special mm-hmm. people really are. Just because they're special needs doesn't make them less special. They're just like us. And you just have to, as somebody wrote, it was a great review. And they said, I didn't know what it was like. I don't have experience with handicapped special needs people, but I guess that they have a lot to say if you just listen, if you just listen. And the listen to me is not listening to me. That's what my brother used to say when we didn't understand him and he thought we weren't paying attention to listen to me. (laughs) Listen to me. And that's where the title came from. It was was Listen to Me. It was his story to listen to. So I was going to say perfect title, perfect title. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But you had to, you know, people said to me, where did you get that from? You have to read the book. (laughs) I I knew when people asked me questions, when they said, I loved your book, and then they asked me that, I go, you didn't read it. (laughs) Because if you read it, you would have the answer. That was it. That was his express. That was one of his many expressions. Listen to me. We would say we're listening. We just didn't understand, but we are listening. So. Yeah. And you know, that's the first step to actually getting there. Yeah. And hopefully, exactly. hopefully right. your Listen. book will be, you know, a, a first step for many people into sort of stepping out of their own shoes and into someone else's for a minute to, to think about how different life can be. 
and how the same life can be at the same time you know right how not so different so true how not so different true no you're right so we've mentioned some of the places where you can get your book on apple and kobo and amazon and amazon Amazon amazon.com is the is the prime one because that's where Mm -hmm. you can get um book or the paperback yeah so not everybody likes to read on a device so it is available in a paper book and it's a it's an easy as people have said to me it is an easy read it's an easy read yeah and the book is called Listen to Me, How My Down Syndrome Brother Saved My Life. Just to, since we didn't really go <laughs> over the title that much until the end, <laughs> I should probably mention that again. Um, but also, like, is there any way people can get in touch with you? So they, they can follow me on Amazon.com, but primarily uh, Goodreads is really, really good because I Goodreads every other day. People have asked questions. They've gotten other stories on it. They can ask me questions. They can find out information what's going on, any new things that I might be working on. So that's a really, really good place. I am on Facebook and uh, I'm on Instagram at Lynn Podrat Writes. So um, there are you know different ways that people can follow me through and hear the rest, any more stories that they would like. Do you have an author website as well? I do not have an author's website. I know that's, okay. that's just next, like check. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've had enough challenges. <laughs> it sounds like it. It's a lot to manage. <laughs> I, I know. So I, I will, I will, you know, people have asked me about a blog. I thought about that as well. And, you know, the book came out in August, September, October. I think maybe the new year it'll be, I've taken a breath. We'll go do something else. It's, you know, not, not one to sit on laurels. I always say I'm not really ready for this, but it's the next challenge that gets the blood flowing yeah. and keeps you young. So yeah. <laughs> one of them will be next. <laughs> anyway, so I just really like to thank you again, Lynn, for coming on our show and sharing with us such a like inspiring and eye-opening journey that you've had writing your memoir and telling us about, you know, all about your brother and about the memoir itself and the process. So I just really, really like to thank you again for coming on. It's been a really great chat, I think. I thoroughly enjoyed myself, Sarah Ashley. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You both are delightful. And so I appreciate the opportunity and I, I appreciate how you guided our conversation. <laughs> thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on and you're very welcome. So anyways, if you'd like to be on an author spotlight session, just like Lynn was, um, you're able to apply on our website, which is lindersoncreations.com. You can just hover your mouse over the podcast tab and you should find a link to a application form. And next time on Dear Writer, it's our talking shop episode where we talk about the resources that we use to improve our writing. And if you'd like to know more about us uh, and our writing projects, you can visit us at the website I just mentioned, lindersoncreations.com, or just get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle lindersoncreations. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Mm-hmm.